0: verses 1 through 17. Here we go. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila and a native, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. And tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to the Jews, that Jesus, I'm sorry, himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he took out, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. Many of the the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid. But keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it is a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words or names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. (laughs) So he drove them from the tribunal, and and they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Galileo. Lord, we thank you for your word and what you did in Corinth all those years ago. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would open up your word to us here today. God, that we would see the power of your gospel being preached and the word of God being being proclaimed in Corinth and the things that you did through the preaching, the faithfulness of Paul to his calling and to the faithfulness of preaching the gospel to us here this morning. Help us to see your call on us as Shift Church here and our lives here in the 21st century, here in 2024. We love you, Lord. Speak to us. Open up our minds to hear and perceive what you would have for us to hear. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So has anyone seen The Chosen in, in the theaters? You guys watched it this week? It came out? In theaters, so season four is out, at least in theaters. I'm not sure if it's out on the app yet, but I will have to check. But the, you can watch it in the, in the theaters. Uh, episodes one and two, right now over. Uh, I believe it's playing here at the Regal Cinemas here over at the mall. But uh, so I was watching The Chosen this week, a little bit, and uh, it, it was the it was the uh, the one where uh, he's he went to went to Nazareth, and he had already sent all, all the all the the, the disciples. Um, to go and proclaim the gospel. And uh, I also watched a little bit of the episode, a the clip of the, of the episode with, uh, I think it was, oh, who was it? It was the Little James or one of the, the disciples that, that was crippled still. He, had, um, he was still lame. But, uh, and he was wondering like why Jesus hadn't healed him, and yet he was sending him out to heal. He's like, this seems weird to oh. me. He's like, well, if you can go and heal and have the faith to heal people while not yet being healed how much greater of a testimony is that? That you have such great faith that you don't even have to be healed in order to heal others. Right? It was an amazing, wonderful scene. But it got me thinking, as I'm watching The Passion and any kind of Jesus play or Jesus movie, I kept pondering this thought. Did Jesus just like fly by the seat of his pants? (laughs) Like, did he just like go from one thing to the next? Like just kind of go with the flow and just like as he felt led to heal someone, or as people came to him, uh, or as he was led by the Father in that moment, or just kind of took each day moment by moment, or was Jesus strategic and intentional with everything he did, but also had the capacity to be flexible and interruptible during his earthly ministry? Just thinking about the two. And the way, at least, that the show portrays him is that Jesus was very strategic. And we even talked about that last week, that God is very strategic with what he does. So because as we talked about last week, we talked about the first four verses of our Corinthian um, you know narrative here. And uh, and so God you see that, that that God was very strategic, is very strategic still today. And so the other question is like, did Jesus get the Father's strategy when he went off to pray? different kinds of prayer that he experienced, but specifically when he went off into the Pray woods, was that where Jesus was getting the strategy, and he knew what was going to happen coming up? Like, oh, I watched the uh, the episode with uh, Nathaniel, where, you know, the, the architect guy, and, you know, and he uh, was under the tree and burning his, his architectural designs because the collapsed and he was in the bout of depression and, and stuff, and then Jesus came to him, and he, and like, Nathaniel said something, and Jesus was like, Oh, it's you. I was like, Was it like the father had told him he was going to meet this guy that was a friend of Philip and that he was going to transform his life? And tell him, you know, basically, you're going to tell this guy, I saw him when he was under the tree, under the fig tree. Like getting the strategy, getting the plans from God, and and living that out for that next, you know, season of ministry because as we can see throughout all scripture that God, even though mankind might just be going moment to moment that Jesus, that God himself is very strategic with what he does because there's great power in strategy there's great power in alignment and agreement and so that's kind of the the main thought that we're getting to here this morning um (coughs) is um, you know, when, when I'm when, as a pastor, uh, but also just for us as a church, uh, the assumption or belief to live like Jesus and to minister like Jesus to live like Jesus lived um, is always there. You know, we want to live like Jesus lived. We want to minister like Jesus ministered. So, if Jesus is strategic, if God is strategic, then we should be too. Then, you know, as, and as we as a church, you know, we have a strategy. We have our plan. We got the book. It's on the website. The vision, right? The vision frame, which I'm hoping one of these days I'm going to get on the, you know put on the wall so we can actually like see it, you know, instead of just having the book. But having a vision for the church, and so that that brings us into question about our lives. Do you have a vision for your life? Does God? Do you believe that God has a vision for your life? A purpose, a strategy. If you believe that God has a vision for your life and God is is a visionary, and God is also strategic, then doesn't that mean that God also wants us to be strategic with our lives, with the lives that he has given us? If he knows the plans that he has for us, then should we live by those plans? Live by the strategy, live by the tactics, and live by the vision that God is giving us. But, all the while, being flexible and interruptible, being living peacefully and faithfully, yet intentionally strategic. And maybe you can take the vision frame and do one for your family. Paul was was equipped by Jesus for the work of ministry, as, as we knew, like we studied you know months back, maybe a year ago now, but. Uh, But Paul was equipped by Jesus himself for this work of ministry. To do all of these things with a purpose. On purpose. He had a calling from Jesus. He had a way in which he was being told to live. A strategy. Go to the synagogue first. Then when they kick you out and reject it, go to the Gentiles. And if they run you off, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next thing. He had a plan. He he kind of had had an M.O. for every single city that he went to. Jesus desires purpose. Not just action, but intentional, strategic action. Because where there's strategic, purposeful action, there's power. It accomplishes God's will. It accomplishes God's plans. When we live our lives this way, there is power through our lives. So I want to talk about that. The main point, just to reiterate, the power of Jesus and one another. Last week, we talked about the encouragement of Jesus and one another. And this week, we're talking about the power. Because like I said, when we live our lives with a purpose, on purpose, we see the power of Jesus and the power of our lives together as a church. We see the power of Shift Church going out, coming together. God's power being made manifest here, His glory residing here with us. The power of Jesus, you know, it's easy because <laughs> Jesus is God. Amen. And God is powerful. That's an easy one, right? The Word of God, who created the world and everything in it, is powerful. And He proved Himself through His earthly life by healing the sick, raising the dead even being raised from the dead himself. And then he has ascended. He ascended and is sitting glorified today next to the Father. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus sent his Holy Spirit in power. Power to be with us in power. In us and working through us in power. Power. So understanding the power of Jesus is kind of easy, right? But what is the power with one another? Do we believe that fellow that the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and the the the, the teaching of you know, of of God's word, do we believe that this is powerful? Is a Sunday morning gathering like this powerful in our lives? Is it powerful to change our lives? Is it powerful enough to change our culture? Is it powerful enough to change our relationships? Is it powerful enough to change our city and our region, yes. simply because we gather together in the power of Jesus' name and the and the power of the Holy Spirit? The power of one another is when we who are individually filled with the Holy Spirit come together. It kind of reminds me of like the old cartoon, you know, the Captain Planet. By well, our powers combined if we are each individually filled with the Shekinah glory that resided on our Ark of the Covenant and we all come together and multiply that power Amen. by our powers combined yes. we have the power of God the presence of God right here in this room there's great power when the, as the Bible says the living stones Come together to pray and worship with and for one another. They come together to pray like we did this morning. Praying for one another. Praying with one another. Building one another up. Confessing sins one to another for healing. Studying the scriptures together like we're doing this morning. Mm -hmm. We're going to have discussion here in a little bit. And sharing food and fellowship. And coffee. Thank you, Eric, for getting the good coffee this morning. We didn't have to deal with the decap. Mm. That's, that's heresy right there. There's <laughs> no power in decap. That <laughs> smells good. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, cause it's, it's also good to remember that there are times in our lives that we forget who we are. We forget our identity. We forget that our first and foremost identity is a child of the living God. Loved, filled, wanted, seen, heard, sung over. Do you believe that God sings over you? Sometimes we forget. We let the the noise of the world drown out the beautiful song of God over us. We forget the power of Christ that is within us. We forget our calling and mission in this life. And this is when the one another is most vital, is most important in our life. Because we encourage one another and remind each other who we are, what we are. Holy, beloved, righteous. We are the righteousness of Christ. Forgiven, beloved, and how we do what we do. We don't do things the way that the world does. We do things the way that Christ does. This is what happened to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. What happened is we see Paul had to go about a little doing a little bit of regrouping and refocusing on his calling, kind of re recalibrating. So, cause what happens? You have know, Paul. No, I'm sorry. Silas and Timothy arrive in Corinth. Yeah, and the question is like, how in the world did they track him down from Athens? Because like, there's no email <laughs> or text messages or phone calls. Like, hey guys, I, I decided to skip out on Athens early. I'm moving on to Corinth. like maybe like they le- left were able to leave messages at the docks or something like that like hey if there's a ship that comes in from Berea with these two guys on it, tell them this I, I moved on. you know I, maybe <laughs> I don't know but, uh, but uh, they, they came to Paul, they were able to find their way to Paul in Corinth and uh, we see a transition in Paul. We see a growth in Paul in this moment. We see a transition in, in the way that he approaches ministry. Um, but we also see maybe a restoration of his heart in this moment. Because as we, as we saw in the first part of this, the latter part of this, he wasn't really successful in Athens at the end of 17, right? He just kind of was like, they had a few there, and you know was it, like Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with him, but not a lot wasn't very successful. He was only there for maybe like a month, if, if that. You know, maybe it was just a few weeks. But we also see a change, a shift in his boldness, in the way in which he presents the gospel. Paul had kind of shifted his focus from the simplicity of the gospel to try and be all intellectually appealing through debate and discussion um, and this de- you know, and through this debate um, he is you know, like, like I said last week or a couple weeks ago effectively neutralized by sophisticated intellectuals he was neutered by these, by these intellectuals but here's the thing, he lost sight I think this is what we can see from, his, from the Athens account he lost sight of his calling he lost sight of the simplicity of the gospel he was called to preach from the beginning and he tried to be smart. <laughs> You're trying to be smart. You know, you. But even here in Corinth, at the beginning, we see this here, right here. Verse 4, he said, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. He kind of lost his gumption. His, his boldness had been quenched a little bit. He had started to believe lies. I think there was some, maybe some, some spirits that were maybe get, doing a little bit of oppression, kind of trying to shut him up, trying to kind of silence him a little bit, maybe kind of put it, you know, put a dimmer on his on his bright light, so he was a little bit more cowardly. I mean, for goodness' sake, he was already stoned to death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and was beaten, yeah. the drug before this, like this council and that council, and he was, you know, run run out of town three times on this missionary journey alone. Right trying to like hard and feather him. So maybe he's starting to get a little nervous in the service. He, he tries to persuade them. He took on a more like subversive and safe tactic when he was by himself. Because that's the interesting thing. You see that this is the first part where he's by himself. He doesn't have Silas or Timothy. So maybe he's a little bit more reserved when he's by himself. Is there power in one another? Amen. Mm. <coughs> then. Then, when Silas and Timothy came, it's like a bolt, light bulb, he remembered who he was. He remembered what he was. He remembered whose he was and was. And he remembered how to do what he was supposed to do because of the power of Silas and Timothy's presence with them. And he was, what? Emboldened. He, what? It, it changes the verbiage here. It said he reasoned in the synagogue and tried to persuade to, what? When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul emboldened. devoted himself to the proclama- pro- proclamation, to the preaching of the word of God. A complete shift. 180, boom, new Paul. Back, you know, You ever have those times where it's like you kind of get the you forget who you are, you kind of get into this, this situation where you kind of become a little bit more reserved or depressed or anxious, and then something happens and you remember who you are, you remember the, the passion that you started with, you remember the excitement of your faith, you remember the you know the, the goals that you have for your family, for your life, and you're like, wait a minute. Like boom, and all of a sudden, like you get the crap out of your life, you clean your house, or you do whatever, and like you're you're new, you're a new person, you're a new man, you're a new woman again, because you remembered the joy that God has shown you before. You remember the goal and the visions that you had for your life and your family. You remember the dreams that God was giving you for the life that he, that you wanted to have together. The joy of your marriage, the joy of your friendships, the joy set before you and you're like, wow! <laughs> like it's breath of life, right? Breath of fresh air. His weight lifted off your shoulders. It's a great way to put that. That's what happened to Paul here. Silas and Timothy, the one another, was this breath of fresh air for Paul. And it reinvigorated him with boldness and bravery, valor, strength, in the simplicity of the proclamation, not dialogue and discussion, Putting up up the gospel up into a position of safety and being mocked and ridiculed by the stubbornly religious and self-righteous. No, he devoted himself to the boldness of the proclamation of the simplicity of the gospel. He would remember who he was because of the one another, and this is, I think, something that we can see is that Paul grew in this missional maturity. You don't just like start your 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 mission. I am not the same kind of person, pastor preacher, that I was even ten years ago when I met Amber Lynn. or even like six years ago when I first started here. I was also about a hundred pounds heavier. You know? <laughs> but you know, I go back sometimes and listen to some of those early sermons when I was a teenager or when I was a when I was a, a, a youth pastor, and I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> you know, and I was like, ten years ago as a youth pastor, less than that. I was back in two thousand fifteen and sixteen, like about ten. Oh, you're old. Coming up on ten years ago, right? But I'm, still I'm not that same guy anymore. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not the same person I was two years ago. Amen. Much less like twenty years ago, which is Paul. Like Paul, this is like twenty years into his ministry into him being a Christian. He's a completely different kind of Christian. I'm so thankful that God helps us to mature Amen. and to grow up. Mm-hmm. And this is Paul. We're seeing Paul growing up. Paul grew in his abilities and courage throughout his ministry. He grew in his ability to understand the Roman law and, his, and the protections that he had under the Roman law, like we saw from his first missionary journey to his second, right? Right? from being stoned to death to now like saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on you. I'm just, I'm Roman, citizen. Roman citizen, guys. You know, you can see how he goes through these, you know, these ups and downs. He tries to figure things out. Then he discovers that simplicity and boldness are the two keys. This was God's call in his life. Preach the word, be courageous, operate in the power of God, not the intellect of men. I want to say that kind of becoming a vision statement for his life. Do you have a vision statement for your life? Do you have a mandate for God's call on you? Mine's be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, I kind of cheated, I stole it, but you know. That's <laughs> But because Paul was realizing that it's not for the intellect of men, but the power of the gospel, the power of the preaching of the word of God, as, it says in, as he says, he writes to the Corinthians later on from Ephesus. He says, "When I came to you, brothers and sisters, talking about when he came to them, you know, announcing the mystery of God to you, I didn't come with brilliance of speech or wisdoms. I came. I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified." I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but by a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. I like saying power. She feels powerful. Because the Holy Spirit is power. Everyone say power. 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 There you go, Barb. Ready? Let's do it together. Ready? Power. One, two, three. Power. Come on. Where's the clock? Come on. One, two, three. Power. There it is. The power of the Spirit. He said, I didn't come to know, like, wisdoms and intellect like I tried in Athens. I was like, he he said it right there. I'm like, in fear. I was scared, guys. Absolutely. I was scared that you guys were going to be worse than the Athenians. But I showed you God's power, and the gospel came to you in power. Because he's growing up, he's learning, he's realizing, he's pressing in. Is he making mistakes? Yes, we all. But he's learning, he's growing, and like in our passage here this morning, it's it's this is more kind of a descriptive, not like prescriptive, type thing. And what I what I say is this is. Paul's calling this is Paul's calling not to say that the gospel would have failed in Athens or did fail because it didn't but it was simply not Paul's calling to stay there and be all an intellectual you know snooty intellectual there you go drinking IPAs <laughs> Tradition says that actually Dionysus, like we just talked about over here, Dionysus the Areopagite, came to faith in Jesus, and he stayed in Athens. He stayed there, and the church in Athens actually grew. Probably because Paul wasn't there; he wasn't called to a- Athens because he was not that kind of a person. It wasn't his his call. But it was Dionysus. Dionysus was a intellectual. Dionysus' life was changed by the gospel. And therefore, the church grew because he was planted there. And the Holy Spirit implanted himself there. So much so that it's actually tr- known as tradition that Dionysus actually continued and became the first elder of the church and actually was there at Paul's execution. And then traveled the world as a missionary. And eventually was was martyred himself. But that the church in Athens grew because Dionysus actually Chose to fulfill his calling on his life, but it just wasn't Paul's. It wasn't Paul's to be the, to stay in Athens and be an intellectual. The gospel is always best experienced through the power by the working of the Holy Spirit. Like, so, like, like so, I had this word several years ago that the, the next great awakening, specifically here in, in this valley. Would not come specifically only through the preaching of God's word. But so, but or, I'm sorry, not solely through the preaching of God's word, but actually more so through the singing of God's word. Amen. And we saw that fulfilled a couple Saturdays ago. Like that, the, the, one, the one voice night of worship downtown at the Wilson. I was thinking, like, this is going to be awesome, it's going to be a powerful event, we're going to bind up the enemy. You know, singing worship songs downtown at Wilson, the Wilson Auditorium, and we're just going to have this incredible experience and encounter, and go out and be inspired. You know, after our fasting, just God's power is going to go crazy after this worship night. I had no parameters in my brain, thinking that people were going to get saved that night, and there were over 20 people, over 20 people that got saved that night. They walked down the aisle, and were we're embracing one another. All the way from like children, all the way up to like the older, like fifties, sixties, coming down and just in tears and brokenness and, and joy, giving their lives to Jesus. And I was back there just going, "Woohoo! Yes!" And there the, was the a guy. You know, the, you know T- Trevor gave a great, a great, you know, you know, short, just and simple proclamation of the gospel. But we had been singing for two hours at that point. The gospel being preached, being sung in that setting. Transform people's lives. And the way that he introduced the gospel was actually like, hey, this might seem weird. Like, these people are super excited and joyful and like whooping and hollering. I mean, Philip Smith, of course. You know, course, you know I love that guy. I love his worship. Just like, but like, why are these people all excited? And th- that's what spurred him into the gospel presentation because Jesus because the power of God has transformed our lives and each one of us has a story of how God's power has transformed our lives through the word of God and then we see the strategy of the father at work at play especially after they get kicked out like they usually get kicked out right Starts proclaiming the gospel and all of a sudden, all right, you're out, get out of here. Right? But a lot of people come through, come come with them, and even so much so that God's like, Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna plant you right there next to it. So the house right next door to the synagogue is where they <laughs> he like sets up shop. So it's like you got the synagogue and the house of God. Right. The true house of God. With with tedious justice. And, uh, and so much so that, that he plants them there, but not only just lets them stay there, but like Crispus, who's the leader of the synagogue, comes to faith in Jesus because God strategically planted him next to that synagogue and saw people after person after person after person come to faith in Jesus. That's what actually what you see in your, in your sheet there is that is the, well, it's the temple of Apollo with the mountain behind it, which is where the temple of Aphrodite was on, but you see the stone underneath it, which is still there today, and it was one of the stones from the synagogue in Corinth. And right next door was the house of Christmas. One of two guys that Paul says he baptized. So we have to, see, we have to be introduced to Christmas here. Simple, but powerful gospel. Simple, but powerful life. Our lives don't have to be complicated to be powerful. We don't have to be intellectuals. We don't have to have a whole bunch of random things going on. We can just live a simple, quiet, peaceful life. That's powerful. There's great power in simplicity. And it all happened. The transition happened. This this glory happening because Silas, and Timothy came back and reminded him of his call. And Paul was encouraged by the growth of the church in Corinth. Here's the thing about Paul. When he remembered who he was and what he was called to do, I think at that moment he was more receptive to the Holy Spirit. When we're operating outside of our call, we tend to quench the Holy Spirit. Amen. We tend to not want to hear God's voice when we know we're not living according to His His strategies for our lives, His call on our lives. We quench Him when we're like, no, you say that, I like, I like the way that I'm living my life better. <coughs> He received this night vision because I believe he's, he returned to her re- and remembered who he was, remembered the call in his life, remembered the joy set before him that God had been cultivating his life for 20 years. He was like, oh yeah. And that's when he received the night vision. Not like he received night vision, like you couldn't see at night, but he received a vision in the night from Jesus telling him to stay in Corinth because he was about to do a great work over the course of that next year and a half. So I have many people here. Welcome back to your mission. Welcome back. Now let's keep going. Welcome back. Don't go back. Stay here with me. Let's keep going. Because there's, there's power when we walk together. So what? And I love this. I love this. God told him basically everything he needed to know in one phrase for I am with you. Don't be afraid. Yeah, I've got many people. It you know, that, that doesn't matter. What matters is I'm with you. Don't go back to the place where I'm not with you. Go with me to the place that I am with you. Because that's all that matters. I have many people in this city. He said many brothers and sisters are yet to be added to their number, but they're there. Do we see our city that way? Do we see our city here in Belgrade that there are many brothers and sisters here that are just not here? Yet, not just not here yet. They're here. They're just not yet here. Look at that person, you're like, oh, they annoy the heck out of me. Well, they might just be your brother or sister yet to be a brother or sister to jump and join you here. So look at it. Look at every person you see around this around this city. Every person you look at, whether they're the, the cream of the crop or the dirt in the gutter. Look at them as a brother or sister that's just not here yet. And how can you invite them in? Jesus has many people in Belgrade and Bozeman and Four Corners. Yes, even Bozeman, you guys. Jesus has many people here in this region we just gotta go get them Jesus desires to show his power and bring those who experience this great power together that's what the church is there's one thing that God said is not good the very, very first thing. Does anyone know what it is? The very first thing that God said is not good? Being alone. To be alone. The very first thing that God said is not good. The very first thing that God said is a breakdown of my creation. Is a distortion of my glory. Is opposite my love. That man should not be alone. Amen. Mankind. Man and woman. That's the real pandemic in our country right now. Loneliness. The very thing that first God, God said, very first thing He said is not good, is what we are living in in our in our world. Is, alon- is alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And this, I'm not, it's not just talking merrily. It's not good for man to be alone. There are no other humans in existence. How do you get more humans in existence? You create a female, they come together, boom, more humans. Multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply. Mm. Fill the earth and subdue it. It is not good for you to live this life alone. Let me say that again. It is not good for you to live this life alone humanity is not something to to protect yourself from because we're trying to protect ourselves from being hurt, we're going to get hurt guys we're messy, we hurt people there's even a line in this musical that I'm in you know, when, we, when we go through trauma it like puts a, soul, a thorn in our soul and when we get to close to other people then it pricks them too and the closer we get the more blood it draws and so we, we, we help we draw near to each other so that we can help one another with our thorns with traumas with breakdowns we help one another We need creating safe places to confess sins so that we can be healed. Confess our traumas. Expose ourselves, the darkest, deepest hurts in our lives to one another so that we can be healed. So we don't keep going through that trauma and poking everyone around us. Take the thorn out. loneliness and uh, there's these statistics here that I want to kind of go through real quick 70% of, of adults with poor um, with poor or fair physical health are lonely 77% of people with physical ailments are lonely comp- compared to 50% of adults with excellent or very good physical health 85% of adults with poor or fair mental health are lonely compared to 42% of adults who report excellent or very good mental health. 26%, there's a 20%, per, 26% increase in the likelihood of mortality among individuals who feel lonely. 45% increased risk of mortality in seniors who are lonely. A 29% increased risk of heart disease in individuals with poor social relationships. 32% increased risk of stroke, individuals with poor social relationships. Loneliness and isolation have similar effects on health as being obese, an alcoholic, or smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Loneliness is more harmful than not exercising. Generation Z. Gen Z is the loneliest age group. 65% report sometimes or always feeling lonely. 69% say they feel shy. 19% say they have no close friends. 87% of people say it's difficult to make new friends because they are shy. Millennials, that's me-ish. I'm kind of a in-between millennial and Gen X. We like to call ourselves the Millennium Falcons. (coughs) We grew up on Star Wars. But 65% say that they sometimes or always feel lonely. 27% say that they have no close friends. 60% 60% say it's difficult to make new friends because they're shy. And 42% of millennial women are more afraid of loneliness than a cancer diagnosis. Wow. Gen X. 50% say that they're always, that they sometimes are always feel lonely. 33% say that they have no close friends. That is the largest group. 33% of Gen X say that they have no close friends. Loneliness among the elderly. So this is boomers and and above. above. 44% of baby boomers say that they sometimes or always feel lonely. I guess it's better because they have the senior centers. (laughs) 16%, only 16, so it's the lowest amount of baby boomers say that they have no close friends. People with a high degree of loneliness are twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's as people with a low degree of loneliness. i we catching on here yes yeah. did god design us to be alone no. no God designed us for one another god design like i said I, this i will this is what i've said since the since you know six years ago and i'll continue to say it one of the most repeated words in all the New testament phrase is one another there's over a hundred times where it says specifically one another that's not even counting each other or each to the other or one to another or one with another, or each with another. That's just the phrase "one another" over one hundred times. Do you think this is a relational faith? Amen. Did God design humanity to be with one another? Yes. Yes. And that's why we we always say that we are a church that takes the one another of the Scripture seriously. That is our goal. That is our vision. That's why this exists. <coughs> Our mandate, our vision is shifting everyday relationships into authentic community to live God's adventure together fully alive. And our map is relational spaces. Big circle here, obviously. At groups, small, you know, the small circle is the one on one close discipleship. We're small groups, super small groups. We like to say that our goal is to intentionally grow relationships small. Because that's what Jesus did. He had the crowds and the you know 120 or whatever. Then he had the 12. And then he had the three. He had his 12 disciples. Then he had Peter, James, and John. They got to see him on Mount Hermon, transfigured. They got to see him you know, go further with him in the garden. They got a view into him that even the 12 didn't get to see for the rest of the nine, Who are the people that you are letting into your lives, that you are pursuing? You can't just wait for it to happen. Relationships don't just happen. You have to make the decision to say yes. You have to make the decision that says, okay, we only have three act groups right now. Maybe you start one. Maybe the nights don't work for you. Start one. Who are your 12? Who is your act group? Who are your relationships? How are you going from this to the next step, which is just simply an act group? Relationships, connection, community, being seen, being known by one another so they can feel seen and known by your God because like I said this our faith is not a me and Jesus faith it's a we and Jesus faith and then that small circle do you have your person or your, or your persons that know you, that are there for you that are there for you in the midst of a crisis but also there in, in the midst of a celebration you'd invite over to celebrate you'd invite over or you'd ask to, to save you or to help you, and then of course, then our you know, other our values and, and our measurables. But our faith is a re, is a relational faith because our faith is a relational. I mean, our God is a relational God. Mm-hmm. Father, Son, Holy Spirit—they're in relationship with each other, and we are in relationship with them as we are in relationship with each other. <coughs> There's great power in relationship with Jesus and great power in relationship with one another. How are you saying yes to, our, to the fullness of your own faith? How are you saying yes to the fullness of your calling in Christ Jesus? to the fullness of the power of God's Spirit at work in the church, in the brothers and sisters, in and through you. How does God want to use you to be powerful in other people's lives? Because God has a purpose and a plan for you too, in the midst of all that. It's a plan of great power, a plan of great encouragement. Would you say yes to that today? Would you say yes to make time for relationships in your life? Don't be a statistic. Be a witness and a a testimony of God's great power. Jesus, we thank you for your power and your encouragement through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in here, in in and through your church. God, we praise you for who you are and who you've made us to be. Help us to say yes to the adventure of relationship, of transformation, of faith, of our faith with you, Lord. Come and reveal yourself in power through our our obedience to say yes to relationships here, but also, Lord, to take the gospel and proclaim to preach the word of God. And, and, and to watch you adding to our number, to our one another relationships daily, those who are being saved. Lord, reveal yourself in and through our lives, in and through our, your church, in power, Holy Spirit. Let there be great power here at Shift Church. Make yourself known in power, Lord Jesus. And encourage us. Come and encourage our hearts. Let us be uplifted as we have this have this discussion and take communion this morning. Lift up our eyes. Lift up our spirits this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.